You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Uh, Good morning. Uh, My name is Josh. If I don't know you, I'm going to be teaching today. Uh, We're in a series where we're talking through resolving conflict, something that all of us deal with. Uh, Typically here at Red Sea, what we do is we'll take a book of the Bible and we'll start in the first chapter and we'll just teach through the book of the Bible and we'll talk about whatever that particular book happens to talk about. But every once in a while, we feel like it's important to stop and address particular Uh, issues that you guys are facing in your life. And one of them, this issue of conflict, and particularly relational conflict, uh, we felt like it was time to to take a break from the book of Matthew and talk about that. And so we've been doing this for a couple of weeks now. We're kind of in the middle of the series. Uh, The first week, we kicked off this series with this idea that God has a purpose in conflict. When you look at the the larger story of of God throughout time, uh, conflict is a part of that story. God wrote it into the story. He didn't create evil, but He allowed it. And so we have to embrace it as a tool that God uses inside of our lives to teach us things that, that He wants us to learn, things that we would probably have never learned any other way. So we kicked off the series and just said, hey, God has a purpose in conflict. Let's not run from it. Let's not hide from it. Let's not attack people. Uh, but let's be peacemakers. Uh, last week, Dave came up here, and, and, and Dave uh, talked about our contribution to the conflict, which is a good place to start, realizing that, oh yeah, I'm, 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 I create conflict, don't I? I have, I have a sinful heart, and I have these desires, these things that I want, and they're at, they're at war within me, and, and you and I fight relationally because we have these desires, and those desires come out of a heart that's selfish. And so we need to have our hearts changed. We need to see what we contribute to this conflict. That's the first step. Well, the next part of this process is what I want to talk about today, which is what do we do once we've been hurt? So you've had a relational conflict with someone, and now you are the one who was wounded in the conflict. What do you do now? And particularly, how do we forgive is going to be our topic today. So I'm going to ask you guys by a show of hands, uh, who would admit that there is someone in your past that you had that who has hurt you that you have been unwilling to forgive. I can put my hand up for that one. Someone in your past that you've said, I have just not been able to forgive this person. So we can look around and see this is something that affects a lot of us. This is this is a reality. Our pain that we experience collectively as a community is very, very real. And I know you guys, I know many of your stories. I'm I'm in a relationship with you. Uh, some of us have been abused. Uh, Some of us, that was sexual abuse from a friend or a relative. Some of us were physically abused. Uh, Maybe the abuse in your case wasn't physical, but maybe it was more emotional. Uh, Did you grow up in a home where your parents fought one another? Uh, Maybe you've experienced a loved one or someone that that you you cared about who manipulated your emotions. What about a spouse that maybe seems distant or their priorities have changed? Maybe they're just not the same person that they were when you married them? Or how about a manager at your work that takes advantage of you for their own good? What about this one? A pastor or a friend in the church who betrayed your trust. We've experienced that also. We are all very wounded people, and we have to decide what we are going to do with these wounds. 
because they are going to affect us the rest of our lives, whether we acknowledge them or not. And they really are God-sized wounds in a lot of our lives. And it's going to take God-sized answers. But I believe that's what He has for us today. So the problem when we start talking about forgiveness isn't the fact that we don't know about forgiveness. The problem is that most of us have either chosen not to deal with the particular issue, we've tried to forget about it, or we've just made the, the intentional choice not to forgive someone. And, and I think we've probably chosen not to forgive because we just want to avoid the situation, right? That's an escape response. We talked about that the first way. Or the opposite of that is some of us have chosen to be bitter and resentful toward a particular person and withholding forgiveness from them. Well, we would consider that an attack response, both of these not being the, the right way to handle a conflict. Now, I'm going to say this, and you're going to hear it over and over again throughout this message. I cannot feel your pain. I don't, I don't know all of what you've had to endure in your relationships and in the history that you've had with other people, but here's what I do know. As a child of God, as His people, we are commanded to forgive. And today, I want to walk with you in trying to find forgiveness in those areas where it's just been too hard or too difficult. And what it's going to involve is all of us opening up some old wounds in our lives and kind of doing a little bit of open heart surgery on ourselves and some stuff that we probably haven't dealt with in a long time. Many of us who have unresolved conflict in our lives is because we've been told forgive and forget, right? That was something that, that was kind of a, it's, it's, it's popular. Of, oh, just, just forgive and forget. Just let it roll off your shoulder. Just, just walk it off. And we think that forgetting is forgiveness, but forgetting is not forgiveness. When we're hurt by someone, nine out of ten times, if we don't deal with the conflict and instead we try to forget about it, it's just going to keep growing and festering and it's going to start affecting us in ways that we don't even realize. Uh, I really struggled with this uh, as, as I began to, to deal with my past and my, my relationship with my parents. Uh, I was someone that for a long time thought that I just didn't take things very personal. You know, like you could piss me off and a week later I'd be cool. You know, like I wouldn't mind. We'd still hang out and stuff like that. It wouldn't really affect me. And so I thought that was because I was a forgiving person. But in reality, all that was was me just not dealing with the conflicts. And so I just, oh, let's just forget about it. Let's just move on. And isn't that what it means to be in a relationship? Well, no, we have to deal with these things. And so I lived a a large portion of even my adult life as a very wounded person because I wasn't willing to deal with conflict. Now, you wouldn't have known that because I'm not a person that wears my emotions on my sleeves a whole lot. You couldn't see the bloody wounds. But for many years of my life, I was bleeding internally. And it was having all of these devastating effects on all the other relationships in my life. So at best, forgiveness requires that you and I admit how badly that we have been hurt. That's the first thing we have to do. Admit that I have been hurt. Once you have done that, the second thing we need to do, once we've acknowledged that we've been sinned against, that we've been hurt, the second thing is acknowledging that no matter how grievous that sin was against you, it is equally as sinful to not forgive. This is what God's Word teaches us over 
and over again. And not only is it a sin not to forgive, but if you have unresolved conflict in your past because you are the one who is wounded, you will spend the rest of your life limping through life, bleeding out, and it will affect all the other areas of your life because you're not willing to deal with it. I was watching the uh, Discovery Channel show, The Last Frontier. I don't know if anybody else watches that show. But it's about this family, the Kilters that live in Alaska. They're kind of uh, living off the land, homesteaders. And, uh, and this week, I was watching it, and one of the Kilter uh, brothers uh, went uh, bear hunting, right? That's what they do this time of year. They hunt. They got to have enough food for the winter, so they hunt a lot when the weather's nice, and they store it up in the wintertime. So they're bear hunting, and so it's one of the Kilter brothers, and he goes out, and they shoot a bear, and the bear runs into this really uh, thicket of woods. Uh, and so they get there, and they're, and they're thinking, this is the worst possible scenario, because we have to go into a place where we can't see well, a place that it's going to be hard to get out to try to find a wounded animal. And they said this, and it really struck out to me. He said, the most dangerous animal in the woods is a wounded one. Bears are dangerous in and of themselves, but a wounded bear is even worse. And I think that transfers over to us because we are dangerous relationally if we don't deal with these wounds, aren't we? And we spend our lives lashing out on people. Because we haven't taken the time to deal with it. That's what I want us to do today. And it's not only just going to affect your relationships. Study after study says that it affects your health. And we know as God's people that it affects our relationship with Him, ultimately affecting our worship. So the reason that I think that the most of us choose not to forgive is because we want the person who has hurt us to suffer, right? Right? We want, there's a sense of justice that's built into our humanity. And when you hurt me, I have to hurt you back. And so the only way I have to do that is to withhold forgiveness from you. So it becomes a form of punishment. I read this quote this week, and it really stuck out to me. It said, choosing not to forgive is like drinking poison and hoping someone else will die. Think about that. Choosing not to forgive is like drinking poison and thinking somebody else is going to die. In the long run, you are the one who suffers the most. So this can't be the way that we handle our conflicts. So we need to start off this conversation about forgiveness, realizing that everyone will get hurt. Jesus himself said that in this world you will have trouble, John 16, 33. He acknowledged it's going to happen. Pain Broken relationships, relational hardships, those are a part of us living inside of this broken uh, world. We've talked a lot about that in the last couple of series, and it'll be like that until Christ returns. But in the meantime, church, I need you guys to cling to this truth. And this was really revolutionary to me as I was listening to it this week. We are not defined by what happens to us, but we are defined by by how we respond to what happens to us. That's really true, isn't it? When I thought about that, I was like, wow, that is so true. I'm, there's so many things that are outside of my control, and I can't let those things define me, but I can be defined by how I would choose to respond to those things. Uh, Nancy DeMoss in her book, Choosing Forgiveness, uh, Dave gave me this book, and it's been awesome to be able to, to walk through this. Uh, Nancy uh, has this, she talks about this idea in here. It's a quote I want to read you guys. 
And she says, as long as we believe that our happiness and well-being are determined by what happens to us, we will always be victims because so much of what happens to us is beyond our control. The only control that we do have is how we respond to that conflict. You will no longer be a victim when you realize that God's grace is sufficient in every situation. Then you begin to see these situations as God's tools of grace, reconciliation, and redemption. Now that's easy to say, right? It's a nice little quote, and we can package it, and we can all nod our heads. But the reality is, when we look back on our hurts, I think most of us would say, but you don't understand what happened to me. You don't understand what that person did to me. My situation is different. Well, I think God's Word talks about that. Let's look at a parable. We're going to look in the book of Matthew. It's going to be Matthew 18. We're going to start in verse 21. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to, the, to Matthew 18. If not, uh, we put the words up here on the screen so you can kind of follow along. So in the context here, Jesus is, is talking to his disciples. So he's ta- we would say he's talking to us as his, as his, as his disciples. But he's having a conversation with, with Peter, uh, particularly around this idea of, of forgiveness and how much we should forgive someone. So Matthew 18, verse 21. Uh, let's read this story together. It says, Then Peter uh, came up and said to him, him being Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore, and he goes on to tell the story to, to elaborate on his point. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all they had and payments to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Wow. So here's what we have in this story. A king is is going through and is collecting his debts. And he, he realizes that he has a servant who owes him a great deal of money. The text says that he owes him 10,000 talents. So one talent is worth about 20 years' wages. So this guy owes 200,000 years' worth of annual salary. Now, if we just use a simple figure of $30,000, he would owe $6 billion. It's a debt that he could never pay in many, many lifetimes. So Jesus is using a a big number that can never be paid. That's his point. It's the same as 70 times 7. It's supposed to be a a large number. 
Well, in the story, the servant is brought before the king, and he orders, the king orders the man to pay the debt. He can't pay the debt, obviously. And so he takes the man, and he takes his family, and he's going to put them in prison to recoup just a small, tiny portion of what is owed him. He wants to get something back. Well, the man falls to his knees, and he begs the king to be patient with him that he will repay the debt, which we all know he could never do. So the king, knowing that he cannot pay this debt, instead gives him mercy, forgives the debt, cancels and let it go. Okay? But that, this is where the story takes an interesting twist. That servant then goes out, sees another servant who owes him a fraction of the amount of money. It's 100 denarii, which is equal to about three months of wages, so about $10,000. To compare 10000 to $6 billion. This guy was forgiven of $6 billion, yet he wants his 10000 So the man cannot pay. He's put in prison. Uh, the other servants that are around see this happen, and they go and tell the king. The king calls the servant back before him, and the king says, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you now have had mercy on your fellow servants as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. And so it's a great story. We learn a lot of stuff. But look at where Jesus gets specific where he's talking to his people. He says, So also my heavenly Father will do to you, to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother in your heart. Wow. So any time that we are unable to forgive anyone, it's like us going and grabbing that person by the throat and choking them and saying, pay me what you owe me. And when we are unwilling to forgive, we will set ourselves up to not be forgiven by God. It's hard, isn't it? And this isn't the only place that says it. What about the Lord's Prayer? We've all heard the Lord's Prayer over and over again. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But what if God only forgives in the extent that we're willing to forgive somebody else? What actually says that after the Lord's Prayer? For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Man. So what are we talking about here? Forgiven people forgive others. And those who persistently refuse to forgive others have no basis to claim that they will ever be forgiven by God. See, not forgiving not only becomes a barrier between you and another person, not only does it affect your health, not only does it affect all your relationships as these wounds that we carry, but it affects your eternal standing before a holy God. It becomes a barrier between you and God. Not only that, just getting real practical, not forgiving someone also leads to incredible amount of bitterness and resentment in our lives, doesn't it? We're going to come back to this idea of, of God's forgiving us and us forgiving others. But before we do that, I just want to talk about this idea of bitterness real quick. Uh, the writer of Hebrews actually addresses it real, real specifically in Hebrews chapter 12. Flip over there in your Bible. In, uh, in Hebrews 12, he's talking about uh, hard times that we go through. And he uses the word discipline as God's the father. And he, if, if, God, if you're the son of God, then a, a parent disciplines a child. It's out of love for that child to teach them the right way. And he's making this point that God does the same thing for us. And so we can take that concept of discipline and connect it to 
hardships. And this is what he says, uh, starting in verse 11. He says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Uh, But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Okay? So he's connecting discipline with training. God allows these hard, painful things to happen in our lives because he's trying to teach us something. He's trying to train us like you would a child. He says, therefore, lift your drooping heads and rely of that. In light of that, lift your drooping heads, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. See, if we don't lift our drooping heads, if we don't deal with this conflict, if we, if we don't have our legs strengthened by these difficult circumstances, then you will become lame. You will have a wound, and that wound will affect you for the rest of your life. He goes on here and he says, so, so strive for peace with everyone and for holiness, which, which, <coughs> which, which without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. You see the connection there between root of bitterness and obtaining the grace of God? Bitterness can cause us to not obtain God's grace. God is he's offering His grace to us to help us work through our conflicts, but we have to acknowledge our need of that. And we have to humbly reach out to God for His grace and for His forgiveness in order to release the person who has hurt you and who has sinned against you. If we don't do that, bitterness will grow in our hearts and it will fester and it will affect all the other relationships in our lives. And I believe God through our circumstances, is trying to make us more like Christ. I really believe that. I look back on the hard journey that I've dealt with my, with my dad and, and, and other relational issues that I've had in this church, and I really believe that God is using those things to make me more like Christ. Because this is God the Father's highest priority and purpose in our lives, is to make us like Jesus. And we know that Jesus was made perfect through suffering, wasn't he? Not only so that we could have eternal salvation, but Hebrews 4.15 says also so that, that we would know, know that, that what it feels like to be treated harshly, right? Jesus knows what it was like to be treated harshly and to be taken advantage of, yet he forgave. We can forgive because God forgave us. And a Christian who cannot forgive has never experienced true grace. We do this by remembering how much we've been forgiven. So if you think that your situation is too painful to forgive, I just want to read you a story. This, this book was, was packed full of tons of great stories, real true stories about forgiveness. But there's this one uh, particular story that really struck me, uh, and I want to read it to you guys. It says, uh, Ernest, or Ernie Kazuto, was a Dutch Jew who after nearly two and a half years of running and hiding had finally been captured by the Nazis. It was another sad casualty of the madness that had swept through World War II Europe. His fiancée, Hetty, who, like Ernie, had come to faith in Christ, had also been rounded up and caught, and her final destination was the gas chambers of Auschwitz. In his moving book, The Last Jews of Rotterdam, Ernie tells of kneeling on the floor of his prison cell one unending day reading the Bible. 
he came across the passage where the three young friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been cast into the fiery furnace where the Lord himself had met them. Suddenly he said, the fourth man was also with me. No one, not even the Nazis, could shut him out. Jesus met with me in my prison cell, and he had something to ask me. Can you forgive the Germans, Ernie? Can you forgive them and love them? Ernie's shoulders stiffened. Forgive them? Love them? Oh, Jesus, how can I? They've taken me prisoner. They've killed Hetty. Forgive them? It's too much for me, Lord. But in the aching silence that echoed off the walls of his prison block, snatches of memories began to flash through his mind. He could see the page in Henry's journal, in Hetty's journal, where she had written the words of Matthew 5.44, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He thought of Jesus, shamed and tortured and bloodied by human hate, the same Jesus who had forgave his murderers from the cross, the same Jesus who even now was asking him to forgive another unthinkable offense. I can't, Lord. What else can a man really say? How impossible is forgiveness of that magnitude? But if you will help me, I will try. Please help me. And one by one, the chains of hatred and anger and bitterness began to snap in Ernie's heart. He could look up. He could almost feel in his body a new freedom of movement, the relief of having been shorn of the weight of his burdens. For though he was still in prison, Ernie was free. As he recounted it years later, he says one more, one more Hebrew child was delivered out of a fiery furnace. But this is where it really gets interesting. One day after the war, after his release, Ernie received a phone call from the wife of his commandant who had overseen the prison where Ernie had been held. The man was now sick and dying of a contagious disease, and his wife wanted Ernie to come and visit him. Yes, no. We can only imagine the distance that resided between these two responses and how hard his heart had been and how hard his heart to be leaning and how hard his heart had to be leaning toward refusing. He had already forgiven. He had relinquished his hatred. That should have been enough to look into those evil eyes again, much less to run the risk of being infected with the same contagion and face death once again. Yes, And as he wrestled with his dilemma, Ernie's father urged him, Jesus tells us we must forgive our enemies. Go and see him. And he went. And there he was, his once cruel captor, now weak and struggling to breathe. Ernie tried to speak, but words failed. At that point, a voice from inside him urged him, go and kiss him. I could not believe what I had heard. Kiss him? But the voice would not keep quiet. Kiss him? I will protect you. Timidly, Ernie recalls, I leaned forward and kissed his forehead. He burst into tears, and as he wept, he apologized over and over for the wrong that he had done. Then I knew that he didn't just need my forgiveness. He needed God's mercy. I told him about Jesus, how the Jewish Messiah died to atone for the sins of the world. And right then and there, Ernie Casuto led his former jailer to Jesus. Wow. That type of forgiveness is a forgiveness that God does inside of us. And it's a forgiveness that he can't do. The same way that God forgives is possible for us. He tells us that. And and how is it that God forgives? He forgives just like the song we sang when we first came in here, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. It comes out of Psalm 103, 12. And in in verse 12, it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove 
our transgressions from us. I know it may feel like the sin against you is too great to forgive, but you have to ask yourself, is there some threshold of pain beyond which God does not require us to forgive someone? There wasn't for God. Remember, we were once all dead in our trespasses, but God, being rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Now, I'm not asking you guys to automatically feel love toward that person, but I am asking you guys to overlook the offense, to to offer forgiveness the way that God did for us. And we can do this through the power of God by having our hearts changed. The longer that that I walk with the Lord, the more that I'm overcome by His grace. So the longer my, my, as I live longer and I sin more and more and more and more, uh, I realize God's grace for me more and more and more and more. Um, as I continue to see my, my depravity, I see what forgiveness cost God. And, and I came across this concept this week. It, was, it really struck me. It says that, that we cannot comprehend the agony of the cross, right? Jesus taking upon himself the sin of the world But at the cross, Jesus was also separated from God, right? I think that's why Jesus, before he went to the cross, said, Father, if there's any other way, would you take this from me? And it wasn't the pain of the sin or the weight of the world. It wasn't the thorns. It wasn't the the beatings or the, the piercing of his side. But I believe the agony of the cross was the the loss of the intimacy with the Father, It was an eternal fellowship. Now, a fellowship that had never been broken before. In my relationship with my wife, we are one. And if I lost my wife, it would would break me. I I would feel lost. But me and my wife have sinned against each other plenty of times. God and Jesus had never sinned against one another. They had perfect intimacy and, and perfect relationship. Yet because of our sin, they were separated. Wow. That's how hard forgiveness is. It is painful. But it's real. And it has to be real because that's the only way that it works. If it's easy, it's not from God. If it's not hard, if it's not costly, if it's not painful, then it's not forgiveness. It's real like the way that God really forgave us. It's real enough to change us, right? When, uh, when my father left our family, it was between my, uh, my junior high and senior high years. It was the, the summertime. And, uh, and I vividly have, you know, decades later, still remember, remember the moment, remember the conversation. Uh, and I was, uh, was angry and resentment and bitter toward my dad through all of my high school years and the majority of my college years. I didn't want to have anything to do with him. Uh, about a decade of my life was lost and everyone else suffered relationally during that time because of that wound that my dad had given me. Initially, I went and started reconciling a relationship with my dad because I I realized that I had been wounded and I said, you've hurt me enough. You're not going to hurt me the rest of my life. That was my initial thought. And when I first started talking to my dad about it and we sat down because I didn't want to be wounded. I didn't want to be bitter I wanted to be whole, right? But that wasn't forgiveness. I wasn't able to forgive my father for what he had done until I realized my standing before God. 
And when I realized that I needed forgiveness, all of a sudden, who am I to not extend forgiveness to my father? And I was able to then go to my dad and model and said, I forgive you unconditionally for what you have done. That's a forgiveness that happens when God touches your heart. Now, in your circumstance, once again, it may seem impossible because you've been hurt so deeply. And in all honesty, I want to let you guys know that it is impossible for you to forgive, but it's not impossible for God. When Jesus came to this earth and he paid the penalty for our sins, he said, it is finished. Meaning that it is, it is complete. Your debt, six billion dollars, was paid in full. It was nothing that you did. It was nothing that you deserve or nothing that you ever will do in a thousand or two hundred thousand lifetimes. It was a sheer act of grace. And God commands you and me to go out and extend that same sheer act of grace to everyone else, believer and unbeliever. So I want to walk you guys through a real practical exercise of this. We've been talking a little little in theory here. Here's what I want you guys to do. If you have a piece of paper, you can do it now. But if not, I want you to to go home and, and to do this. So go home and take a piece of paper. I have a big one. And, uh, and I just want you to make, you know, kind of three, three columns on your piece of paper. And in the first column, I want you to write, who has hurt me? Write down a couple of names. And I'm not asking you to dig up every repressed childhood memory. I'm not sure that's always productive. But whoever God brings to your heart, you know, I think even now in this room, God's placing people in our hearts. And we're like, oh yeah, I've got to do something, don't I? I want you to write those people's names down in the first column. Now in the second column, and this is hard to do, but I want you to write what they have done to you. right? Take some time. Think about it. Think about what, what's the pain, what's the hurt. And in the last column, write, in this last column, I want you to write what you have done to them. So when you think about who they are, and you think about what they've done, this is what your response has been to that pain or that hurt. Okay? Then when you're done with the exercise, I want you to go back. I want you to take this piece of paper, and I want you guys to look at these two columns. This column, you can't do anything about. This is out of your hands. You didn't deserve this. You shouldn't have had to go through this but you did, okay? It's out of your hands. But in this column, if you don't see the words prayed for them or loved them or blessed them or forgave them, then there's something that God is calling you to do in that relationship. And then I want you to go to that person and I want you to confess this if you need to confess this to them. Don't talk about this. This is what we have right here. This is what God has called us to. 
And I believe that if we can go and do this, then we will have a clear conscience before one another. I believe this is a part of that healing process in each of our lives. But then the last thing I'm going to ask you to do is even harder. And this is what it takes a God living inside of us to do through His Holy Spirit. I want you to go back and I want you to forgive these people. I want you to take the time and, and do this before God on your knees and to say, God, I, I forgive them for the way that they have, they have wounded me, for the way that they have, that they have sinned against me. Why are we supposed to do that last step? And why is that so foreign from the way that the world deals deals with conflict? And why is it so unique to us? Because that was done for us, wasn't it? I think it's the hardest step because every bit of your humanity will fight against it. To go back and and to ask for forgiveness from that person or to tell them that you forgive them It is a God-sized task, and it'll take God's power, but he promised us that in Ephesians, didn't he? He said that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is available to you and me. Wow, his enabling power is inside of us to forgive other people with the very grace and forgiveness that we have received from God. We're going to take some time now to to have communion. We do this every week as a church. It's something that Jesus gave us to help us remember. And when you come to the table and you break the bread off, I don't know about you guys. This is my personal preference. I like a big piece of bread. You know, like for me, it really, the little piece for me doesn't quite capture it. Uh, I need the big piece of bread. Uh, And for me, it really is that $6 billion debt right? We come and we remember, oh yeah, there was a debt that I could not pay. But God, being rich in mercy, poured out on me his love and his forgiveness to me. We take the bread, we take the juice, the wine. We're reminded our hearts are filled once again with forgiveness and grace. And then we leave this place and we're able to go and do this to all of those people in that column that hurt us. I want to pray for us now that we can do this. It is a a God-sized task. But I believe and we believe and the point of this series is that God has called us to be a people of peace and of reconciliation. And I pray that God's Spirit would move inside of you to do that. So let's pray together. Uh, Father, we come before you right now of people who have been forgiven much, God. Thank you so much for your mercy that you poured out on us through Jesus Christ. God, thank you for that debt. Thank you that you did not put me in prison. You had every right to, Father. But instead, you not only just set me free, but you then allowed me to be a part of your kingdom and be a part of your family. In the story, the servant isn't just forgiven the debt, but the servant actually gets to sit at the table with the king. And now I want to start living like the king does and forgiving the way the king forgives. 
Would you teach us to do that, God? Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit to do what seems impossible, God? Would you begin to heal these wounds in us as we go out and we continue to be a people of peace? Father, do that in us, in this place. We'd ask that in the name of the Son. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.